Okay, so so John chapter seventeen. If you've if you've not uh, gotten there yet, um, let's go ahead and go there, and um, and this is this is really a classic chapter because it's Jesus' prayer, right? I mean, this has been a long discourse um, through chapter fifteen, or actually all the way back to chapter chapter 13, where we kind of started building up towards it, and he's wrapping up everything. John chapter 14 is all his discourse, John chapter 15, John chapter 16, and now we get all the way up to the the last part of this, which is his prayers, and then we go into the cross, the whole passion of of Christ and the resurrection. So um, we'll start here in chapter 17. It says, um, and and remember, they've they've been at the table, they've been talking um, Jesus is giving his all his basically last um, instructions to this. And it says, there's a little switch here in chapter 17. It says, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may, be, may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Um, it's a pretty intense statement. It's a pretty intense prayer that he, 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 he actually kind of gives us Really, in a sense, Christianity in a nutshell. Um, that that uh, he basically restates that everybody that we all have eternal life by knowing God and knowing Jesus, and that God is the only true God, and Jesus is the only one that He has sent to us, and that that basically Jesus is returning to the glory He had from the beginning, which was the glory before all creation. And, and again, he's very much uh, uh, claiming who he is as the eternal one, the one that has always been there, the one that has been forever, not just a Messiah, not just a prophet, not, um, excuse me, not just a prophet, not just a, um, a messenger, but the Messiah, the, the, the messenger of God. And, he's, and, and then he, he prays um, three prayers, really, the prayer for the disciples, the prayer for all the disciples and those that are in the future, I would say. Um, his his first person says, I have revealed to you those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. You know, it's it's very interesting because clearly God has been working before Jesus got there. I mean, we've got all the prophecies. We've got all that happened. But not just that. It's even you know, in people's lives. I think oftentimes we think of God working in these big historic sweeps and changes, but he's working in our lives as well. And he's always involved in and doing things in our lives to bring us to him, to get us to connect to him. And he says, look, I, I took the ones you gave me and I've, you know, done what I was supposed to do with them. He says, now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. 
you know, the people that have turned themselves over to God, that have given their hearts to him. He's saying, I'm not praying for everybody. I'm praying for these specifically, the disciples, basically, using our terminology. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. Glorify, glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the word, and excuse me, I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, for them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. And, I mean, it's a pretty incredible prayer because he kind of he kind of gives the whole plan. What was the plan? We don't usually think of a plan like, okay, you know, before Jesus was born, him and God sat around and came up with a plan. This is what's going to happen. Well, you're going to go down and do this, this, and this, and you're going to collect those that are mine and you will empower them and train them and make disciples of them and prepare them to go and change the world. You will return to me and we'll be one. And, and, and I mean, the whole plan, which was probably from the beginning, Jesus kind of giving an overview of it in his prayer. I'm, I'm picturing all the disciples are praying and they're thinking like their minds are just spinning like, oh, wow, this was, this is. This is all part of a huge plan that God has. You know, this is all part of his vision of what he's doing. And and we're part of that plan. We're part of what he is doing, which in itself is a huge thing, is that that we get to be part of what God is doing in this world. It's, it's one of my favorite prayers to pray is just thank God that we get we have a part, that we get to do something in what he's doing to change the world, to prepare the world. Um, and, and I think that sometimes, especially in the past, I think we were very caught up in being the best, the biggest, the fastest, the most awesome, and everybody else was nothing, and we were everything. And really, that that almost never happens in, in history. It's not one person or one group. It's really how God is using everybody. And yeah, we, you know, there are groups that will shine that will stand out more than other groups and and people that will shine and stand out. But it's never God. The only one that is the savior is Jesus. The rest of us, we all just get to be part of what he's doing. And that is good enough. That is great. And we need to feel really good about that. We need to feel great about the fact that that we're part of what God is doing in this world. I mean, I think about even right now with 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 all the racial injustice coming to the surface, and I mean, really, the whole world being angry about it. And we we the disciples of Jesus, we we understand how God feels about it, 
and we can set up things to be right in the church and be an example for the rest of the world, which is what God does. He uses the church as examples, as a light to the world. And, and he calls us to make these changes so that there's an example in the world. I mean, you need examples. You need to know what should this look like? What does real unity look like? What does racial unity look like? What does justice look like in the world? You know, I mean, we, we, we had a vision for it before that we're, you know, we're diverse in our fellowship, we're diverse in the church, but now we've got a deeper understanding and we've got deeper purpose to, to, to shine in a much greater way and to take it much farther than it's ever been in the past. And that's true of everything, of helping the poor, of, of being spiritual people, people of prayer, people of, of godliness. The world needs those examples. The, their, their example was so powerful in the first century that it really just spread across the Roman world because it was so remarkable. And I don't think that, I mean, I'm not saying we haven't been disciples. We've been disciples and we've been doing a lot of good for the last, you know, whatever years our fellowship has been around. And there have been others, obviously, before us and still out there doing their thing. But, but you know, God calls us higher and higher and higher. I mean, I've been in the church long enough to, I remember the day that, that, that clapping was reintroduced to church. And the elders taught, basically, and spoke to the whole church, said, okay, we are now going to allow clapping. And that was a big deal because you weren't allowed to clap at church. That was not allowed. I remember when dancing was reintroduced to the church. And I remember when when um, women were allowed to serve communion. And that was a big deal. I remember we used to meet, our congregation met with another congregation, and that congregation chose to no longer meet with us, to break fellowship with us, because women were serving communion. And we were clapping. You know, and that was just not acceptable to them. That was too much change, too too fast. Now we look at that and people laugh. I, I love it when I tell campus this and they they just like, what, are you serious? But that's how Christianity is being restored to what Jesus intended it to be. It's every layer we're learning new things that we need to get back to what Jesus taught and what Jesus did. I mean, racial harmony is one of those things that Jesus taught. That's justice. You know, how we treat each other, just like understanding grace. For years, you almost never heard a sermon on grace. It was extremely rare. And partly, I think we were a little afraid of grace because we 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 knew that when people have a healthy fear of God and a fear of going to hell, they tend to stay in line. And some people, when they hear that it you can do whatever you want and be forgiven, they jump into sin. They go out and test that principle, right? And and so I think that for many years, we didn't talk a lot about grace because we were a little afraid. We didn't understand it. In the last 10 years, grace has been a hot topic and we teach it all over and it's helped us grow. It's helped us become more and more what God intended us to be. And that's part of spiritual evolution. And we have to keep growing because if we don't, if we stop growing, as, as Peter wrote, we become ineffective and unproductive. And to a degree, we've been there. We've been, we've been at a place where we became ineffective and unproductive. We have to keep growing. We have to keep moving forward as we follow Jesus. 
In one sense, you could say Jesus got way out, way ahead of us, and we almost lost sight of him. And we've been racing to catch up. So whether it's understanding grace, understanding our responsibility with the poor, or understanding how we have not been racially harmonized and repenting of that, and all these things that God has taught us to catch up to being with Jesus and being like him and being one with him so that the world will know that we're sent by Jesus, Jesus was sent by God, and that we're all one. Um, and, he, and he says, you know, he, he does say something that's pretty striking at the end. He says, verse 14, I have given them your word, and the word, and the word has, sorry, I've given him your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. That's a that's a striking statement that we are no longer of the world. That that means we're remarkably different. We are strikingly different. We don't act like the world. We don't want what the world wants. We don't chase what the world chases. And to a degree, we've been that. But to a degree, we've not been that different. And and this is part of our continual repentance, and it's important to understand that that we are we're growing, we're learning, we're evolving into the image of Christ, and so that means a couple of things. That means that there's never a day we say, "Okay, we've arrived, changed everything I need to change, done everything I need to do. I'm good. I'm fine." In fact, I would even redefine I'm good. I'm good means I'm repenting and growing. It doesn't mean I've arrived. <laughs> and and I think that for a long time we wanted to say we've arrived. Okay, we're we're at we're the we're the true believers, we're the true church, we've arrived. Garbage. We're th- this is repentance is a way of life and growth is a way of life to remain effective and productive. And one of the sure signs that we're not growing is being ineffective and unproductive. And, you know, Jesus warns that you can't pour new wine into an old wineskin. It'll burst and it'll fall apart, right? Or sew a new patch onto an old cloth because it will shrink differently. It will adjust differently. And again, it's 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 we have to keep growing and stay flexible, stay, keep growing, keep evolving and never settle down and settle in. I mean, it's the reason why the major denominations of this world are losing members in droves because they failed to adapt. They failed to change. They failed to evolve. And it's not, some people think evolve is a bad thing because they're like, oh, that's just the church trying to be like the world. That's the church trying to be politically correct. And so it adjusts itself, and that's clearly wrong. That is true. If the church is trying to adjust to the world and be like the world, that is clearly wrong. But spiritual evolving or spiritual growth is the church trying to be like God, which means it's still growing. It's still changing. The church is not the kingdom of God. It's part of it in so much as God's will is being done, but no more than that. It's not in the sense that it's full of sin, sinful people, and people blowing it. And and in that sense, it's not the kingdom of God. 
And so we, we are striving to become that. This is what Jesus is praying about is that we understand we are, we, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. We're different people. We are, we are distinct and set apart. And it says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now he says, with your word, sanctify them. Make them holy. That's what it means. Set them apart. And that's why, again, back to why it's so important that we know our Bibles. Because our Bibles are sanctifying us, making us holy. There's, there's a traditional model of spirituality. There's and that of how people develop spiritually. And it's it's salvation, it begins with salvation and then it moves into sanctification. And salvation is getting people out of the world into the kingdom of God, right? And it's getting people out of the world, baptized and forgiven of their sins, out of the world and getting them into the church. And, and but 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 once you get somebody into the church, once you baptize somebody in the church, then the bigger process starts. And that is sanctification, where we're helping people become like Jesus. Not We're not saving them more. They're saved. Whether you die the, the minute you come out of the baptistry or you die 50 years later after you've grown and learned a ton and, and become more and more like Jesus, you're not any more saved. You're as saved as you're going to be. So it's not, it's not, sanctification isn't, let's get them to be really, really saved or super saved or something. It's really just helping people to grow and become more and more like Jesus, to be more holy, sanctified, sanctos, you know, to be, to be more and more like Jesus. And to be honest with you, that's the harder part that it's, I used to think the hard part was baptizing people. Now I understand why it says that it was no longer Jesus who baptized them, but his disciples, or why Paul even said, it wasn't me who baptized you. I didn't baptize many of you. I, I, you know, and, and what he said is that he came to preach the gospel to help make disciples. Um, <clears throat> I get that now because the easier part is saving them, really. The harder part is getting people from the baptistry to heaven. That's the harder part. And 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 if you think about your experience and you've been around the church very long, you understand that. You get that. You think, yeah, I've, if you've been around 10, 20 years, you've seen a lot of people fall away. You've seen a lot of people crash and burn. And you know that it is not easy to stay saved. I used to wonder, why was Enoch a hero? I mean, what did he do? Well, now I know what he did. He was faithful 600 years. I mean, good night. He was just faithful for centuries. I mean, he just, he didn't fall away. He kept walking with God. I mean, I go to, it's funny because I'll go to other countries and I'll say, I'll say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian 38 years. And people go, ooh, wow. Because we think 38 years is a long time. Think about Enoch. He he started walking with God. I think I think it was at 365 years old. You know, I mean, he was already an old guy. But the fact that he walked with God all the way to the end of his life, man, that means he went through a lot of challenges. He went through a lot of sanctification. You know, and and God loved him and just came and took him. You know, 
because he was so holy by then. But the point being back, okay, he says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Okay, this is what sanctifies us. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they true may be truly sanctified. You know, that we 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 all want to be sanctified. That's that's our goal. All of us who are in the church now, who are saved, we're in that process of being made holy. You know, and there's tons of illustrations from the potter and the and the clay, the anvil and the, the blacksmith, you know, pounding out the, the the metals, purifying the gold, purifying the silver, and making it into the image of Jesus. You know, that's that's us. And and the hard part is as as preachers often preach is staying on the anvil and letting God pound you out, letting God work on you, letting God put you in the fire and purify your faith and purify our motives and all that kind of stuff that happens in the sanctification process. Uh, It's very challenging. And this is why Jesus is praying for us. You know, in verse 20, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. And now he's going to pray specifically for us. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me and that they may be one as we are one. Now, this is radical. This is this is a big deal. He's he's. We all know that God, the Father, and Jesus, the Son, are one. And 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 then we learn actually in this discourse how the Spirit is also one with them. So the three are one. That's what later would be written up as the doctrine of the Trinity, the three, right? And and sometimes people might ask you, well, do you believe in the Trinity? You know, I will tell you this: I believe in the Trinity in its idea of the three of them being one. I don't know that I believe in the written out doctrine because they break it down to very detailed uh, specifics about the training that I don't know that I agree with or that I just, it's just more than I know. So the the basic idea of the Trinity, yeah, of course, Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are one. Yep, they are. They're definitely one. And that's what Jesus' prayer was. He said that, that we would be one as they are one. I want you to think about that for a second. Being that united to God that united to Jesus, that united to the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's a, that's, an, that's a whole different state of being. That's a whole different way of thinking, a different way of living life. And, and we're invited to that. Jesus prays that we will be that united with him and that we'll be one with each other, you know, that we will be that together, that harmonized that 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 much one that much united in him he says may they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me our unity is a testimony of god it is a it is it provides a sign to the world of god i remember uh when michelle and i were leading the church in miami a reporter came to church and she worked for the miami herald and she told us, well, first of all, she came into church 
And she told us afterwards, she said, how did you guys do this? You have such a racially mixed church. And I would say back then, Miami was probably on the cutting edge of diversity, um, you know, because we were we were just a very mixed church. And and um, uh, racially, you saw everything in there. And it was pretty evenly mixed between um, there was African-Americans, black that were Americans. There was Haitians, Jamaicans. Um, there was lots of Latins. And then Florida, Florida people, the Floridians, the 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 older families, the white families that come from that area, um, and we're probably we were probably about 30, 30, 30. And she was blown away. She was just totally blown away. She said, "I've I've we've been trying to do this for years. How did you guys do this?" And my answer was simple: Jesus brought us together. That's it. He's the only one who could. She didn't like that answer, and she was trying to find something else. To write about, but but that is the truth. Jesus brings us all together. Jesus makes us one, and he says he says, um, "I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity." And it, the complete is actually the perfect perfect unity. It's it's where we're completely evolved into one, you know. And even that, okay, and and obviously, you know, I may not have even thought of this had I done this class six months ago, but now, in light of everything that's happening in the world, how powerful is that? I mean, when the whole world is marching and protesting because of the lack of unity and because of the evils between how races treat each other, this prayer is so powerful that they brought be brought to perfect unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and I love them even as you love me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know you, they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Okay, so so again, the, the whole chapter is on this unity, this spiritual oneness. And obviously, we're not talking about a physical oneness. We're not talking about a, a metaphorical oneness. We're talking about a spiritual oneness where where we, our hearts and our minds and our spirits are woven into as one person. Now, that doesn't mean you lose your identity or you become a clone or you become a robot of the army or something, But because we also hold our individuality just as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They each have their individuality and their properties, right? What they, what, what, what they do, what they don't do what their substance is, what their properties are. And so we retain that as well as individuals, but in heart, mind, and soul, we become one. And that's that's his goal. That's And he says that the whole world will know that you are sent by me. It's going to be proof positive of the hand of God. And if anything right now, that's pretty clear by the how hard it is for the world to be unified and the world to become one. And and um, and he has this prayer, and he closes out the prayer, you know, for asking the exact same thing that that we're in them, 
and that he is in us, that Jesus is in us. And that's our decision. That's up to us to be part of that unity, part of that family that's so one. And that's what's so great. That's what's so great about the church is that we have that opportunity to be one with God, one with the Holy Spirit, one with Jesus, walking with him, living in him, being with him. It's his prayer. It's what God wants. And and hopefully that we understand how big that is. It will surely be what we want in our prayer every day. So that concludes chapter 17. And uh, that was actually a, a rather short one. And we got through it pretty quick. But uh, we'll go ahead and stop there because next in chapter 18 is we start rolling into the crucifixion. Um, So we'll stop there and see you at the next study. Thank you for joining us. I hope this has been educational and inspiring for you. If you'd like to know more, please join us by going to study.laicc.net and we'll be happy to contact you and help you in any way we can.